of reconciliation, I acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island peoples today. Welcome to Totally Lit, the podcast celebrating reading, writing and creating literature. I'm your host Kai Garvey. Thank you for listening. This episode I'm chatting with Brisbane-based writer G.D. Eisen. Grant is the wonderful local convener of the Brisbane Writers Crew that gets together once a month to have a good chat about everything writing. Grant has a Master's in Creative Writing and writes literary crime and comedy fiction. He is a writer, reader, headbanger, neurodivergent, diagnosed with ADHD and an all-round general awesome guy. I hope you enjoy our chat. Hi, I'm so pleased to have Gigi Eisen here to chat with me today. Thank you, Grant, for joining me. Welcome to Totally Lit. Thank you very much, Kylie. Now, you have a Master's in Creative Writing and, and a Bachelor's. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that body of work? Sure. I began my Bachelor degree at uh, QUT um, at Kelvin Grove back in 2013, It was a means to an end after a traumatic life event, which uh, led me to taking up the creative writing degree. I finished that uh, end of 2016. I was off to do a PhD at QUT, or a master's. It wasn't a master's, but there was a step for a PhD, and I don't think they called it a master's. It was like a research Mm. um, thing, but um, because I had a really good GPA, uh, it was like a, it was like just under under a six five five point eight I oh, think. That's impressive. Well done. Thank you, thank you. Um, but yeah, it was going to be like three years, and then if I wanted to do the PhD, the PhD was another uh, four years, I think it was. And it was like, mm, I no, I don't think I could do another seven years, sort of thing. And and at the time. I knew some students, uh, particularly um, our tutors, that were doing their PhDs, and I didn't think I could sit down and do like all the the, the hardcore research and mm. and all that sort of stuff. I just didn't think I had it in me. And then chance had it that I forget where I saw it, but the University of Sunshine Coast had a one-year master's program, which was where you basically just wrote your book and. It was very simple. We obviously had classes on writing and the craft of writing and all that sort of thing. It was kind of more like a top-up of what I'd already done at the, in the bachelor degree. But basically, we would write a chapter and then we would bring it in and the class would critique each other's chapters in turn each day sort of thing. So next class would be somebody else. And, um, and I, I hadn't really... Up until then, apart from like my work uh, writing that I'd done in the bachelor degree where I had actually done quite well. Like my, my stories that I'd written were really well received. And, um, cause I, I'd never really considered writing. It had always been there throughout my life. And I just thought writing was for other people like, you know, like the Stephen Kings and mm. Danielle Steeles and, you know, they're writers, you know, I, I hadn't really delved into the world of, um, um, you know, like literature and, 
the Australian writing community and all that sort of thing. And um, then when I did my master's and I started the, the book that I wrote for my master's, every chapter I wrote, my lecturer, Dr. Paul Williams, <laughs> embarrassingly, he'd, he'd hold up a chapter, my chapter in front of the class and he'd be like, if this landed on a publisher's desk today, it would get published. Oh, that's high praise. Yeah. That's exciting. So um, I kind of thought, well, okay, um, this this is a thing. But I I didn't know what to write. Hmm. I the the book I wrote for my masters was kind of a memoir of sorts, and and then. I sort of started dabbling in a couple of things after I finished the Masters, but um, uh, being um, ADHD, uh, neurodivergent, um, which I didn't know at the time because I was only diagnosed um, a little over two years ago. Mm, so you found um, that out later in life. Yeah. Yeah, so I was um, uh, nearly 50. I just turned 53 last week. So... Yeah, I've always, I always had a problem with time and mm. never never knew why, you know, like unless I had to be somewhere at a certain time, like if I had an appointment with someone like today, you said we'll start at two o'clock and I was already ready to go kind of thing. <laughs> um, I'm only giggling because I, I happen to have two sons on the spectrum um, mm -hmm. and my son has been known to be up at 3 a.m. in the morning getting ready for something that's not happening till 9 a.m. Um, yep. So I'm having a bit of a giggle because I'm like, yes, I, I understand where you're coming from oh. uh, with that kind of thing. Um, and, and which is one of the reasons why I'm really interested in, in having a chat to you because I'm sort of in awe that you've been writing a book and completing your studies whilst you had undiagnosed neurodivergence so to me it's hard enough to write when there isn't any any issues at all apart from being a procrastinator like myself so I'm really interested in chatting to you about the things that you've achieved because you're really kicking goals at the moment well the, the thing is, is like if and like a lot of people wrongly refer to this as a superpower when it comes to the hyper focusing part of ADHD Yes, yes, it, it's 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 great that we can focus on the thing that interests us. So, fortunately, both the bachelor and the master's degree, it was something I was really interested in and just threw myself into it. But having said that, there were many subjects where I struggled to comprehend mm. the certain mechanics of the craft of writing, and you know when they started talking about all the. The, the grammatical stuff and it's like I just want to write mm. I don't want to think about the mechanics the line mechanics you know there was a couple subjects where I I, I I did okay in but if I had been for argument's sake if I had been medicated for my ADHD like I am now chances are I would have done a whole lot better mm. so I, I find that you know when people go oh but the hyper focus is a superpower yeah it is but you can become so bogged down in just that hyper focusing on that one thing that dawn will go to dusk in mm. no in no time and you'll have I'll have not done anything else for the rest of the day 
you, you, you know, so, and getting back to like what you were saying about how your son is up at three o'clock in the morning, he's ready for something that's happening at 9 a.m. I was the same at uni. Mm. Like, um, most of my classes, uh, particularly uh, in the bachelor degree, were like at nine in the morning. So, like, I rode my motorbike to uni and, and I knew how long the peak hour traffic took. But I always made sure that I, because I used to smoke back then, so I'd always make sure that I was there at least an hour and a half before the lecture started, so I could I, I could have a smoke, a coffee, some breakfast, another couple of cigarettes, and then I'd go and park myself in the lecture hall like half an hour before the lecture started. And I never I never knew why the I I, I did that, you know I, you know some people because ADHD affects people differently um right across the board some people are inherently late um can't keep track of time all that sort of thing and then there's people like um myself and obviously your son where it's like we kind of well for me it's it's like i i feel like i don't want to fail by not being there on time like it's it it's rude or disrespectful to be turning up late i I don't know where I got that notion in my head, because even when I had jobs, I was always at work on time. Um, yeah, plenty of time. It is good manners to be on time as well. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, it is. Um, but there's also that worry of, I, I know with my son, he's worried about the things that may come up that may prevent him from being on time but he will worry about every single thing and most of those things are unlikely to happen um, so it can be interesting but being prepared is not a bad thing well see i i was misdiagnosed with anxiety with an anxiety disorder for pretty much um from the age of from probably around the age of 22 so stemming back 30 years mm. But it was never anxiety. Um, I was always um, prescribed antidepressants, and it was never it was never depression. I, I never um, had the symptoms of depression. I've never been depressed, or um, but um, the the anxiety thing was, which I've come to learn now, is um, was that um, unable to process the the order of which things are meant to happen first, mm. like how to get from A to Z. But not trip over B, C, D, and E before you get to G kind of thing, and and I'd, I'd always get really worked up um, if I couldn't figure something out, and and that used to come across um, depending on who I was with and what the situation was. Um, I never understood why I'd get I'd get really flustered when I when I couldn't put my thoughts together right, because mm. like I tell most people. It, it was like it was like driving a Ferrari with Volkswagen brakes inside my head. So like like that scene in the Matrix where Neo's in the white room and all the gun racks are coming whizzing past, and it's like the one stops in front of him, and it's like that's the thought I'm meant to be having at the time. It's like that kind of thing. It's like um, there's the the bit of the brain that the the emotional control center of the brain just runs rampant. There's no it, it's it's um, I forget what it's called, but it's the bit that sits behind the frontal lobe, and that that is your braking system of your brain. Mm. So so when you take in information, it obviously comes in through the frontal lobe, and then the bit that is dysfunctional in people like me that 
emotional control center kind of takes that information and then it sort of becomes Greek and Chinese and then it's sort of English again and then it's like trying to put it all together and that's when people like you know uh, like myself you know we'd get flustered you know why we couldn't understand um if it was even if it was a simple instruction you know i just never understood why i was that way and how does that affect your writing do you do you find that when you're writing you have to plan and plot or do you find it more an easier way to plan your thoughts when you're putting it on paper the funny thing i used to be a pantser when I wrote. Hmm. I, I never, never, never plotted because when when a, a scene comes to my head, and I've found other people do this as well, it plays out like a movie in my head. So whatever's playing on the big screen in my brain, I write it as it's playing out, hmm. which worked to a point. And then when I um, my manuscript that I sent out last year, uh, titled "Until I Jump." Uh, which I submitted to quite a number of agents and publishers that I thought might uh, sort of take it on board. That was the one that I, the very first book that I actually sat down and wrote out an outline and I plotted it. And, and that was due to my ADHD medication, giving me that ability to solely focus on, right, this is what happens. You need to write it down this is what happens to this character and this is their journey and this is who they meet. Um, you know, so um, I've become more formulaic since being medicated for the last uh, just over two years. Do you feel that your writing has improved with the medication or do you, did you like the way you wrote before you were medicated? Have you noticed any difference? I uh, One thing I have noticed and something that people have picked up, uh, the select few of people that have read some of my stuff, this uh, this is going back to before I was um, diagnosed and medicated, I had a problem with tense. I'd keep cho chopping and changing between past and present, but I couldn't see what was wrong. Like I, I To me, it sounded right. Hmm. And then once I was uh, sort of medicated and then I got back onto the writing horse sort of thing and... And I, something that never dawned on me at first was I noticed that it was kind of like a dyslexia in some ways. Yeah. Like um, I had like quite a few people, uh, not a few, but uh, the select couple of people, like authors, Aussie authors that read my stuff. They made comments like, oh, you've got a lot of broken sentences. Um, you got awkward phrasing. You know, like you've got full stops where there shouldn't be a full stop. It should be a run on sentence. But, like, in my head, it sounded right, hmm. if you know what I mean. Like, um, and that comes back to what I was saying before about that whole putting things in order. Yeah. You know, so um, it's, 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 it's been an interesting two and a bit years, <laughs> to say the least. And you're also a carer for your dad as well. Uh, yes. Um, my dad, uh, Lance, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's uh, disease about... Ooh, what are we coming up to? Uh, five, five years he was diagnosed uh, five years ago, and and that uh, uh, adding to that, and yeah, yeah, sorry, I, I am his full time carer, but um, 
My big fear is that, and my psychiatrist says, no, it's not connected, but I have this big fear that I may get Parkinson's because my brain is already dysfunctional. My mother-in-law had Parkinson's and we did a bit of research as well to see if it's hereditary and it seems unlikely that... It's it's, it it's kind of like Russian it. roulette. Yeah. It's 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 Russian roulette because um, my grandmother, his mother, um, she died of Parkinson's when I was five years old, so 48 years ago. So they they say it's it's not hereditary. They, they, there is there is a minor genetic link, which which they haven't really discovered where that genetic link is from what from what we've come to learn about Parkinson's. So like you know like I have a I have an estranged sister. She may get it, or if she had children um, when they got older, they may have it. It's it's a really yeah Parkinson's is just a really weird um, a weird illness. Um, who it hits. Um, you know, you you know you can get it at like like in your thirties. There was somebody on TV the other day. They they got diagnosed at it's like twenty five or something. You know, that's it's too young. That's too young. Mm. You know, but um, you know, so that's why it's important to me. Uh, brain stuff is important to me now. And you, you work really hard. At, it's one thing as I've got to know you and you've shared with me some of the activities that you've been doing once since you've got your diagnosis about working with your mind and working with your body to improve your own life. Um, did you want to share a bit about that with me? Yeah, sure. Well, as you, as you know, like I, I go to the gym um, three times a week, something I'd never done in my entire life. I've never been a sporting person at all. And prior to my diagnosis, like, I, I used to be a heavy drinker. I, I make no secret about that. Like, I used to drink very heavily, uh, which comes back to controlling the brain um, because my head used to be... Um, I could never understand why my head was always noisy. Mm. Um, and when I say noisy, it was more sort of... Um, uh, more sort of like, say you had 10, 10 different thoughts ruminating through your head and you can't decide which thought you're going to ruminate on the most, and then one will come to the front, and, you know, it'll just keep... So it was always, like, just a constant, like, inner monologue. And um, I used to drink a lot because simply to shut that inner monologue up, you know. Not that it was, like, mm. it was bad things or whatever. It, it might have been something positive that happened in the day, and I'd be, like, thinking about it just over and over and over and over and over again. Um, if it was something horrible somebody had said to me you know kind of like when you have an argument with someone and you don't get the last word in but as you're walking away you think of that that one witty line that you could have gone oh have said that. Damn, yep. i wish i wish i could have said that something like that could have happened 20 years ago would crop up and i'd be thinking about oh geez i wonder where they are now just so i could deliver that line you know <laughs> but um now getting back you can write it you can have the last word in your story. Oh, trust me. I, there are things I have written <laughs> that I'm not sure we'll see the light of day, but <laughs> I, I've, I've written qu quite extensively. Um, but one thing that – because just before my diagnosis, I, I was smoking like over 30 cigarettes a week. I was drinking uh, anywhere from 12 to 14 pints of beer a night, which 
blew me out to 120 kilos. Um, I was just just over 120 kilos. And I was seeing a psychologist at the time. He was actually the one that diagnosed me with ADHD, but he was unable to medicate me for it, um, which is how I ended up with my psychiatrist. But um, he was helping me with the drinking and the smoking and all that sort of thing. And then after I got diagnosed at the end of, it was like November 2020, um, was when I started taking dexamphetamine. And then this whole like process of, relearning a whole bunch of stuff um you, you know that being aware of like oh you need to be healthy and like with dad being the way he is um he earlier on in the piece he was prone to falling mm-hmm. and there was a couple of times where he had a fall and because i just had no like core strength whatsoever like you know there was one time where he fell and he was like in his bathroom and I had to try and drag him from the bathroom and try and get him up onto his bed while I was weighing 120 kilos and feeling like I was going to have a heart attack myself. That's a scary situation to be in. Yeah, yeah. And that was primarily one of the reasons why I started going to the gym because, like, I got that touch of sensibility in my head thanks to the dexamphetamine and my psychiatrist. But I, I I knew that I was Dad's carer, and if something happened to me, then Dad was on his own because we don't have anybody else. Um, mm. So I just started throwing myself into the gym work. I, I have a personal trainer. The first time I met him, I said, look, this is what I want to do. And he's like, right, we're just going to do functional strength training. And um, it was uh, Dad had another fall probably about, not quite a year into me being at the gym and um, I picked him up like it was a suitcase because <laughs> of like all the deadlifting and um, the the squatting that I'd been doing. Yeah, uh, I was I was able to pick him up and flip him onto his bed like he was a suitcase. Isn't it amazing the things that you will do for the people you love? Like you're doing this, you love your dad, you want to be able to care for him. And you're doing these things too. It's, it's improving your life, but it's motivated from that love for your dad. That's that's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, as you know, um, I started learning drums. That was more for not just entertainment purpose. That was for actual cognitive therapy because to stave off any sort of potential Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, uh, down the track, drumming um, was something that I thought would be... I'd read an article about how good drumming was for people with ADHD, especially kids, mm. um, but how good it was to build all those neural pathways to, between, like, all your limbs. Um, mm. So, like, when, when, when you're playing the drums, you know, your left hand's doing something, your right hand's doing something, your left foot, your right foot's doing something... And you're counting in your head while you're doing all this stuff. And your brain has to send out billions of communications to every bit of your body that, you know, says, hey, we've got to be doing this thing. Um, we don't know why we're doing this thing, but we are doing this thing. And it, it's, it's, it's actually quite hard. Um, 
drums. I'm I'm no I'm nowhere. Near. I can I can play simple stuff, but yeah, there's some songs that it's like um, at the moment I'm trying to learn Blink 182's new song Edging, and there's a particular part of the song which plays for predominantly a lot of this throughout the whole song, and it requires hitting the snare, a rack tom, and a floor tom, and the bass drum. And it's this particular pattern that counts in eighth notes, which is one and two and three and four. And it's like, <laughs> I have to play it so slowly because, um, and this is why it's important to me that I, I, I learn this stuff and to strengthen my brain is is like, you know, there's cert- on certain counts, your left hand doesn't hit the snare as much as it wants to, <laughs> mm. you know, so, um, you know, it's, and it's fun. It's, it's fun as well. You know, like, um, I just recently bought myself a double kick pedal and, and I've been learning Metallica's new song, Lux Eterna, which is a little bit noisy at the moment, but I'm getting there. <laughs> but you're a bit of a metal guy anyway, so you must be loving thrashing it out on the drums. Yeah, well, <laughs> The, the funny thing is, I've always worn metal shirts for as long as I can remember, and my New York cap that's always on my head, and it kind of became my signature look, I guess you could say, um, because um, there was one night I was at Avid Reader, and um, Brisbane author Mirandi Rewo, who I'm friends with, she was asking me about my uh, book until I jump and she's like, Oh, have you got an agent or do you know what publisher? And, and I'm like, Oh, I said, I kind of have Alex Adset in mind. And Alex was there that night and she introduced me to Alex and I was dressed like, yeah, metal shirt, uh, New York cap, like I always wear. And it was really funny because uh, that night as well was when Ben Hobson and I recorded uh, a podcast for his Beer and Burgers episode um, that's the shoot-off of uh, Words and Nerds. And uh, after Mirandi uh, introduced me to Alex and that, and I, I got to do my elevator pitch, and, and she loved it and all that sort of thing. And, and then a bit later on the night, Alex came up to me and she started talking to me. And she started asking me about the shirt that I was wearing. Um, it was a um, uh, a band from Norway called uh, Kvelatak, um, mm-hmm. which um, Kvelatak means heart attack in Norwegian. And um, they're they're like a thrash sort of uh, uh, metal band. And um, the artwork was very intricate and all that sort of thing. And and she was asking me about the artwork and who the band were. And and she was asking me about the cap and my piercing tunnel yeah, ear tunnels that I wear and that and um it was all genuine you know she's being all genuine about it and and a bit later on I was I was uh, regaling Ben with what happened with Alex and he said you know what he said she was seeing if she could market you oh okay that's promising though yeah well um I mean not everybody has to have a look you know um if you're familiar with my friend Holden Shepherd you know he's got his his whole gym thing that he does and uh, mm. all that sort of thing. Um, I mean, not not everybody has to have a you know a look, but you know you do have to sort of market yourself at some point or other. But um, you know, so it it just became a thing. I mean, I've been I can tell you exactly when metal became a thing in my life was um, 
when I was in the eighth grade, which um, showing my age here was 1983, a friend of mine brought his brother's copy of Judas Priest's uh, British Steel on record to school. <laughs> and we were listening to it um, in the in the library. And, um, yeah, the, the moment I heard their song Breaking the Law, I was like, oh, yes, yes, this is great. You know, and then um, it wasn't much longer after that than, you know, Metallica's Master of Puppets was out and um, who else? Uh, Anthrax, uh, Slayer. I, I always gravitated, gravitated to those, now knowing with uh, being ADHD, um, those, that sort of music was always cathartic to me hmm. because it was fast enough for my brain to keep up with my brain. So whereas somebody would listen to, like, classical music to chill out to and that, like, thrash metal had the, sa- yeah. had the same effect on my brain. It was like a lullaby. You know, it was like, yeah, it's just, um, yeah. So it just, it just became a thing. And and back in the, back in the eighties, and even even into the into the nineties, you know, like metal was just this, like, you know, not everybody was into it. You know, it was like a personal thing. You know, it was like, you know, this is our music. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you know, with metalheads, it's like a tribal mentality. You know, mm. you know, and then. And it was sort of like uh, maybe into the sort of around the mid 2000s when there was sort of like the sort of metalcore bands that came along that were a little bit uh, sort of had that pop image look about them. And, you know, then it's sort of like, you know, like I don't care what anybody listens to, but sort of like to me it was like back then metal was just like this special thing that, you know, not everybody listened to and not everybody understood and, yeah, so yeah, that, you found your tribe. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so it's been my you know, tribe for the good part of forty years this year. So, is it, yeah, forty, yeah, eighty-three, yeah, yeah, forty years. And this is a great segue to finding your tribe because I want to talk to you about the Brisbane Writers Crew that gets together at the coffee club once a month because that has really been all driven by you. So I wanted to find out a bit about how it all got started. Yeah, um, it was back in 2019. It was winter of 2019. So this is this is also pre-diagnosis of ADHD. Um, I'd got to know a lot of um, Brisbane writers like Fiona Robertson, um, Amanda O'Callaghan, uh, Kathy George, uh, Poppy G, uh, Nicole Mallinson. The funny thing was there weren't many many male Brisbane writers that I knew back then. Like, I knew heaps of male writers interstate, you know, like, got a lot of dear friends, male writer friends, authors interstate, and and there was nobody in Brisbane. And, like, I used to be really prolific with tweeting on um, Twitter, um, you know, I, and I had, like, a lot of people were, like, genuinely, you know, found me to be funny and liked the things I had to say and... and it was kind of born from the idea of like I missed talking about writing like when I was at uni, um, and I missed like having you, you know that sort of social socialising where it was a group of writers sitting around talking about writing, you know. Whereas on Twitter it's like eh, yeah you know you can chat about stuff and it just didn't it's just not the same. So I, I put out a call. I was just like who wants to catch up 
you know, um, our first catch-up was at the uh, cafe behind the um, Gallery of Modern Art uh, down on the river there. And, yeah, so I put the call out and um, Fiona Robertson said she'd come and Amanda Callahan and a couple of others. And so uh, the first one was me and a bunch of ladies <laughs> sitting around talking about writing and and that and because um, there was uh, Poppy G, Kathy George, Fiona, Amanda, Nicole, Kylie Fennell was there. She's not on Twitter much anymore. Um, one other, it's lost my memory. Anyway, so yeah, we had a, we had a great time, um, all that sort of thing. And and I I said to them, you know, let's do this once a month. And they're like, yeah, cool. You know, uh, Poppy G was all for it. She's like, oh yes. <laughs> she said, I've been dying to catch it with writers, you know, and which seemed to be the general consensus with just about everybody that comes along to the catch ups. It's like, you know, um. Megan Jacobson that came along yesterday, you know, she was saying it's like, you know, you know, uh, my family, like, you know, get what I do, but they don't get what I do, you, you know, which is the case for most of us writers is like, you know, our family and our non-writing friends don't get the struggle of, you know, writing. But um, no, I put the call out and, and I said, yeah, let's do this once a month and, and then I just kept posting on Twitter when we were going to catch up. We caught up three times at the state library. And it turned out that, like, because we had to pay for parking, we were like, oh, let's find somewhere else where we don't have to pay for parking. And somebody brought up the coffee club at West End and do it on a Saturday because uh, the first couple of catch-ups were, like... Um, from memory, the first one was like a Tuesday. It was like school holidays. It was around school holidays time. And then um, I said, well, you know, what about Saturdays? That sounds like a good idea at the coffee club at West End. And, and everybody was like, yep, yep, we don't have to pay for parking and all that sort of thing. And and it was it was like up until about the fifth uh, catch-up because we've been catching up for, ooh, just over a year and a half now. And it was around... Actually, it was the first catch-up at the coffee club, uh, Ray, um, who you know, Ray C. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the call-outs that I put on Twitter for people, for writers to come, I was like, you know, look, kind of getting a bit tired of being the thorn amongst the roses. Are there any male Brisbane writers? Where are the fellas? Where are the fellas? <laughs> Gay, straight, bisexual, doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm like, there's surely there's got to be some male Brisbane writers, and Ray was like, "I'll turn up. I'll I'll be the the other thorn amongst the roses." And then uh, Ray showed up at the fifth, uh, fifth, yeah, fifth catch up, and then yeah, it, it sort of gradually snowballed from there. It's like, you know, I, I don't really recall when everybody else started showing up. It just, I just kept putting the call out on Twitter and. You know, because I only found you by accident because I, Danny V introduced us. Thank you, Danny. I'm very <laughs> grateful for that introduction. So I was so glad to come along and find all these wonderful authors that are all doing the same thing I'm doing. So they get the struggle, yeah, but also get the triumphs as well. You know, that when something great happens, it's so 
amazing because it's such a hard journey. Yeah, well, um, uh, like Michelle, Michelle Johnson, who's you know one of the the, the original Brisbane crew. <laughs> it was funny. She, well, not not half funny, but um, I'd been following Michelle uh, for some time on Twitter, and in the first couple of catch ups, she kept commenting like, I'm, I'm, "I am going to come," but she had um, she had to have uh, stomach surgery. And she was down for the count for like a few months. And like every time I'd post a photo of, you know, who was there kind of thing to document. That's how it sort of started, taking the photographs. And, um, and Michelle was always commenting, oh, it looked lovely. And, you know, blah, blah, I want to, I want to be there. And, and as soon as she was better, she, she came. I think that, that would have been in the ballpark of maybe the sixth catch up, seventh around there. Yeah, as you know, she's just become a debut author um, with her mm. her book, Terms of Inheritance. You know, so we've been championing her. It's such a supportive group. Like, you've brought together some wonderful writers who are all cheering each other on. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I really wanted to share with our listeners the Brisbane Writers Crew because I just think it's amazing. But I also wanted to mention that you have something to celebrate this week. Did you want to tell us what it is? Ah, yes. Um, <laughs> I had a, a microfiction piece published uh, on Nightmare Fuel magazine, which is uh, an o- online uh, website that deals in uh, horror microfiction, which uh, is run by Emma Nafee, who is now part of the Brisbane writing crew. She's the editor of it and um, she puts out submission calls once a month for microfiction stories up to 666 words. Um, I had I had written one for the Christmas submission, but I, I, I couldn't quite nail the, the way I wanted it to end. It, it just it it mm. yeah, and then the the deadline came and went and I was like ah oh, all right I'll um I'll try for the next one and um which uh, was uh, uh, this month and um. Um, it got published online last Wednesday, which uh, was my, also my birthday. What a great birthday present. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's not a book, <laughs> but the beautiful thing is is that only a select few people over the last, uh, been on Twitter for coming up to eight years now, I think. So a lot of people that have known me for that length of time haven't, actually read a lot of my stuff. I, I did have a, a WordPress blog once, which, yeah, I just, uh, I, I got tired of blogging. Like, it, it was just mm. like, um, um, it, it just wasn't me. I, I'm not a blogger. I, I, I um, um, yeah, it just, it just uh, wasn't working for me. So I just uh, deleted the whole thing. But nobody uh, had actually read any of my better work. And now everyone has. It was like uh, I've got such lovely feedback from um, particularly a lot of people um, that I care about. Um, uh, like I ran into Fiona Robertson after the catch-up on Saturday and um, she was on her way to interview an author at Avid Reader. That's why she couldn't come uh, yesterday. And uh, she's like, ah, oh. she's like, your writing is so beautiful. She's like, I want to see more. Oh, that's a great question. She's like, I want to see more of it. She's, um, and even Lara Kane Gray, uh, who's was there yesterday, one of the now permanent fixtures with the crew. Um, 
I was talking to her about it, and she's like, it was just, she's like, the, you, you had the like the scent, the aromas, the, you know, it was just so evocative, you know. So it's like, um, yeah, it was like, yeah, I had a piece published, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> it's it's like I said, it's not a book, but it's uh, I got paid for it, so it's a writing credit, like it. Yeah, it will help. It'll help. So any agents, publishers or editors out there that want to check that out and get a taste of Grant's writing, (laughs) (laughs) um, that's the place to to find it. Um, Now, I've got a few quick questions that I ask all my guests, which are just a bit to get to know about you a little bit better. So the first question is, what was your favourite book growing up? Oh, good question. I've always read older when I was a child. I don't know how that came about because my mum said she used to read to me even when I was in the womb. She read to me. Um, yeah. And I I don't recall, like, childhood books that I could say, you know, apart from Dr. Seuss and all that sort of thing, but my very first recollection was a three-book box set. I was seven, eight, around there, we were in a bookshop and the three books were War of the Worlds and Frankenstein and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, my goodness. And I I vaguely remember reading War of the Worlds and I remember Dad reading some of the other two to me because uh, one thing I, I'd always excelled at even though I failed miserably at a lot of other things in school, for some reason was reading. Like when I was in the seventh grade, they used to give us these um, reading books that were like for the grade that you were in. So there was one for like grades five, six and seven, and they went up to grade 10, I think it was. So when I was in grade seven, I was reading a grade nine uh, reader. So favourite book, hard to pinpoint, but... In the eighth grade, I read Lord of the Rings. I loved that. Hmm. And it wasn't much longer that I discovered Stephen King. Uh, Uh-oh, look out. So Pet Cemetery was the first... Yeah, I was 13 when that came out, and that was the first sort of horror book, apart from Frankenstein and Dr. Jekyll, but uh, modern horror um, was Pet Cemetery. Um, and I fell in love with Stephen King. Like right throughout my teens, I had pretty much every single book of his that came out in my teen years. Um, and then there was Clive Barker came after that, because I always wanted to be a horror writer. Mm. Um, and I was only saying to, I think it might be Megan yesterday. I was saying how, oh no, Emma, sorry. Um, I was saying how when I started my bachelor degree. I got opened up to a whole new world of books and authors that I had, had would have never read in a million years. You know, like the classics and writers like Raymond Carver and Hemingway, and 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 then I sort of started getting into literary fiction or the the, the world of literature, and just seeing there were just so many ways to tell stories. And then horror kind of went on the wayside and. I started wanting to write other things. And then um, when I was talking to Emma yesterday about my piece that I wrote for her and the feedback that I got, it's like, well, why 
I don't go back to writing horror because now I have the tools mm. to be able to write a really good one, which is what I'm sort of doing at the moment. So the next one will be horror? So far, yes. So more Silence of the Lambs. Okay. So, so it's 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 psychological as well. Yeah, so it's 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 um it's crime but on the psychological horror end of the scale. So not horror as in terms of like say psycho or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but more of that sort of psychological sort of yeah. horror. Um because originally the um it's called the uh, the working title so far is called Down Hellfire Road. That's a good title. I know, isn't it? <laughs> Without beating, uh, blowing my own trumpet like that. Yeah, I love that title. Uh, originally, it was going to be a crime, uh, a crime novel, and I've 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 got probably four chapters in, uh, somewhere around somewhere around the twenty odd thousand word mark that I hadn't gone that far in that it's going to need drastic changing. So. Uh, so I'd been thinking about it since my piece got published, and and I was like, no, I I think I've come full circle. I I, I want to write I want to write horror. So whether that means I get it self published or I try and get it published, because I, I I don't really know. Apart from writers like Stephen King, I don't think there's any Australian publishers that actually do like the big the big ones that actually do horror. Is there? I don't know, but I do know some people I can ask, so I will check it out for you. Are you going to GenreCon this weekend at all? As much as I would like to, um, I just can't afford yeah, to go. I, I'm in that position quite often. But I, there will be some horror writers there, I understand, so I'll, I'll ask and find out for you. Because I'll be there as a sponsor. I, I do know a lot of a lot of horror writers that self-publish, um, mm. but I I don't want to do the self-publishing thing. Um, well, well, it it does work for some people. Like, there's definitely a place for self-publishing oh, oh, in the market. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I understand why you'd want traditional. Well, as well. Well, see, I had. Um, Going back to Alex Adset, she did read my entire manuscript for Until I Jump, uh, but it wasn't for her stable. Um, yeah. But the the feedback she gave me was was absolutely fantastic. She said, "Look, the the characters are beautifully developed. It's a strong story." I, she said, uh, honestly, she said I couldn't really engage with it because it wasn't what she would normally mm. what she would normally take into her stable of of authors because. Mine was a little bit maybe too R-rated for what she would normally um, have. And and everyone has a taste. Like, there's things that people love to read. Mm. Um, and if you don't, like, horror is something you either love or you don't. Um, yeah. So you want to have it in front of the people that love horror and will publish horror. Yeah, well, you only have to look at, you know, like, particularly now with um, the new HBO series, The Last of Us. Mm. Which I would love to write something that's on that level. Um, I mean, I probably I probably could, but um, there, there there is a space for it. And I and I think if I if I push hard enough and find the right publisher, which I dare say would be possibly a, a UK or a, a US um, publisher, 
or agent for that matter. Because um, I, I think, yeah, unless you're self-publishing horror in Australia, I'd, I, yeah, I'd, I'd have to do my homework, but I, I don't really... Th- I, I can't recall a, a widely published horror, Australian-written horror, off the top of my head. Unless it's a film, I mean Australian horror films get yeah yeah they 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 go great guns. Um, you know you just got to look at Wolf Creek and um, all this. Maybe script writing if you gave that a go, you might have some success as well. I actually had thought of doing that with until I jump because um, it was a nod to the whole Ozploitation bikey films of the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Um, it was sort of like Storm Boy meets Sons of Anarchy kind of thing but um you know like writing is uh, you know for me i like to think about my writing um you, you know I, I just don't want to simply whack a story out and you know because I, you know i've got a total of what six years of education under my belt with all the tools of how to write something that's really good and Mm. You know, and, and I, I, I liked, you know, it, it's like, to me, it's like painting a portrait. It's it's like yeah. you've got to have the right light, the right shadows, the right colours and tones. And and, and I, I want to produce quality work, you know, because that, that's important to me. And, and that's one of the reasons why I want to either have a, an agent or a, a publisher is because, to me, it gives the readers that quality assurance that it's been taken care of. Like, you know, you know, like if you do go to a major publisher and you, you've got a team of people, you know, working on making your story better, you know, uh, and that, and that's what it's all about too. You know, like even at the level of our catch ups, um, one of our newer members, I won't say who, one of our newer members was lamenting that, they don't really have the, the the skills or they don't think they have the skills to, you know, be like those of us that can write. And it's like, well, I said to them, you know, that's why you're here. I said, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of us here that can help you, you know. It's, it's uh, Amanda O'Callaghan said to me once, you know, like, you, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're writing something and you don't share with people get your work critiqued and that and it's like well it's just going to sit on your hard drive and nobody's going to know about it and you never improve like um no. you can skate along on natural like there are some writers that are just naturally talented, oh yeah yeah right but there's also art and work and like you need to learn your craft mm. Um, and that's, it's actually something I'm really guilty of. I've been skating along on what I can do naturally and I do have to take it to the next level now of, okay, there's things I need to learn. Even things like time management and discipline and Mm -hmm. those things are very important as part of being an author because if you want to write a large body of work, there's more to it than just, oh, I'm, I'm very good at putting some words together. You've mm. got to plot it and plan it and put all your heart and soul into it and be sitting in front of that laptop typing. And that's, at the moment, I'm writing short stories and picture books because that is the amount I can give, mm. if you get what I mean. So for me now, I'm like, oh, I really want to do something bigger 
but it's actually I'm actually going to have to learn to be much more disciplined with myself to to achieve that. Um, and I am a bit scared. Mm -hmm. to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that 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 is just that is just a natural fear um, amongst all of us, as you know, um, because like um, I, what what I I I am highly appreciative of is having been diagnosed because uh, it, it's been it, it has been an absolute blessing because I don't think any of my writing was ready for the world until my head was right hmm. um, you know and, and I've got to that point now because like um, I had a I had a chance last year I won't say with who but I had a chance with a big name publisher and because of my well, the trouble with ADHD, even medicated, you live in the minute. Mm. So, like, if something isn't happening in that minute that you want to happen in that minute, it's like an itch you can't scratch, um, mm. which is, is – and that, that, is, that is one of the biggest dysfunctions of ADHD – and anybody out there that's listening to this that knows somebody who's ADHD or themselves, where you can be persistent to the point of annoying. <laughs> you can't let it go. You can't. No, you can't let it go. It's like it's you just push and you push and you push and you push. And that, and that was something that I was really unaware of throughout my entire life. And and unfortunately, um, I blew a chance with a really big publisher last year to get my book published. And so I've, I've had to do this whole, since then, um, thanks to my psychiatrist, I've had to do this whole learning not to do that. Yeah, that thing where you have to stop Mm. and think and wait like I know that can be really challenging and I actually have the opposite problem like I would be con considered neurotypical but mm. I do struggle quite badly with anxiety and depression um, and what happens with me is instead of being persistent I will I freeze so mm. I might see an opportunity and I'm like I need to grab that now but I freeze and don't grab it so I'm almost the opposite in where I'm like, oh, I missed that. Yeah. Because I let I let my fear get in the way. So, um, yeah, there's a fine line. You've got to find the balance. Because, yeah. because being tenacious, you need to be tenacious as a writer to get where you want to go. Yeah. But you also don't want to burn the bridges. You want to no. um, keep, keep those relationships with the publishers and the editors because they're our pathway to publication. That's exactly right. Um, yeah. And also our best friends, like they're – like we're partners in producing a work of art together. Mm. Now, I just have one last question sure. for you. Um, what advice would you give yourself if you went back right to the start of your writing journey? What What would you tell yourself to do? Mm. Very good question. I would, not having the hindsight or was it foresight or hindsight, um, either one. Um, <laughs> if, if second sight, maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no. If well, the tough part is is that none of us know what lies ahead. And when I when I started, like like I was saying earlier, when I started my bachelor degree, it was, at the time it was a means to an end. Um, you know, I, I hadn't 
particularly chosen writing, but I think writing chose me. Um, okay. Like I'm, I'm, I guess you could say atheist, but I do believe that life does point you where you're meant to be, whether you read the signpost or not. Sometimes life will go, all right, you missed that signpost. I will give you another signpost. And it will keep giving you signposts until the moment you kind of go, oh, okay, that's what I'm meant to be doing. Um, so if I was to go back, I would probably say to myself in 2013 that whatever this thing becomes... I'm meant to be doing it and stick with it because writing is a long road. It's, it's not something that happens overnight. Um, you know, I, I, you know, like I, I, the funny, the funny thing about that question is, is that, um, I, I don't actually give writing advice on Twitter. Like if somebody asks me a question in a DM or something, I'll, I'll, I will answer them or at the, uh, at the catch ups or something. But, um, you know, like I said on the podcast with Holden Shepherd on Danny V's podcast, um, I don't give advice because I want readers, not students. Yes. Um, so I, I, I won't give advice because uh, – uh, sorry, we're digressing from your question, but um, I see a lot of people giving advice, writing advice over and over again on a daily basis, and it's like – you, you, that's 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 good, um, but it's like I'm a writer. I want to know about you as a writer. You know, it's it's um, you know because if you that's that's why I I, I I used to like really early on the piece of Twitter I, I used to, and then it was like who am I even talking to? <laughs> there's, there's other writers that follow me and they don't need advice. <laughs> you know, it's like so. I I just I just got uh, stuck in my head ages ago. Just don't give advice. Just you know, be gen be genuine. One of, actually, uh, there, there we go. There's the answer that I would give to myself if I was to go back in time. Is be genuine. Mm. Be absolutely genuine. Like you you know not not every you're you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Uh, at the end of the day, I know there's a couple of people that have come and gone from the. That have come to the catch-ups and they've unfollowed me on Twitter and all that sort of thing. I, I damn well know I'm not everybody's cup of tea. <laughs> oh. I will be the first to admit that. But one thing you cannot say about me is that I'm not genuine. Like, and I think that's that's one of the ADHD traits as well. Is 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 well, it, it's important to be genuine regardless of whether you're neurodivergent or neurotypical. Um, if you're genuine with people, and, and that, that is one reason why 20-odd people show up at the catch-up once a month. is You're filling the coffee club, practically. <laughs> yes. Well, that, 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 it's amazing. I love it. That is my dream. My dream is to fill the place uh, with writers. We can do it. I, th we I think we can. Like, our, our biggest turnout was like 24 24 writers. Um, so if there are any other Brisbane writers out there are listening right now, you're more than welcome to show up. We promise we don't bite. <laughs> um, you'll have a good time. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, like I was saying, um, 
if I was to give advice to any writer that's uh, a new writer listening to this now, is be genuine. Don't be afraid to ask for help or advice, you, you know, because it's all a part of learning. You, you, you need you need those comrades in arms, which is one of the reasons why I started the, the, the catch-up was, you know, we all get together and we learn something about each other and mm. we, we, we listen to what each other are writing and um, what's important to us as writers. You know, I could go on, but I, I'll... I know we're out of time, so I'll leave it there. <laughs> but, um, I'm going to make sure that I get to the catch-up on time next month so I can sit next to you and we can continue the conversation. Yes. Because I'm notoriously always late. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the hard thing with um, with with the catch-up is, like, I, tr I try and mingle. Um, mm. You know, like somebody said to me once, you know, like, um, you just organise it, you don't host it. It's and that's true. It's like I feel like I because I organise it, I, I have to try and connect with everybody that's showing up, and and it just gets so hard, you know. Because yeah, the more people, the more difficult it is. Well, yeah, yeah. It's like a party where it's suddenly over when it feels like it just started. Well, I, actually, one thing I can say that I I've absolutely loved about having set up the catch ups is is a perfect example was yesterday. Um, Megan Jacobson, who is a YA author, um, she I, I met her uh, with Danny and you the same day, and Megan had been saying for ages that she was going to come, she was going to come, sort of thing. But she's got a newborn baby, and you know, um, very very busy with writing um, her books. I think she has a new one that's coming out later this year. I think she said yesterday. Um, but anyway, um, uh, Carla. Uh, Salmon, who uh, the blonde lady with the curly blonde hair, mm. um, she's uh, she was a friend of Poppy G's, who I met at Avid Reader, and she's come along twice now. And there's moments at the catch-ups that I'd love where I said to Megan, oh, because we're right down the other end of the table, and I said, I'll oh, see Carla up there. She's she hasn't got anything published, but she's a YA middle grade author. Um, you two will get along famously, and. Um, uh, Megan went up and introduced herself, and then for the rest of the catch-up, like they were there for maybe a whole over two hours, just the two of them talking to each other. And I was like, I yeah, I was just have a smiling to myself moment that I made that happen. You're the connector. Yes, you're connecting writers huh? all over Brisbane. Yeah, it's amazing. Yes, and that and that's and the, you know and that's and that's important to me is that um, I've. I've started this thing, and you know, this this you know, like um, Garth, for example, Garth Garth Jones, and um, when he started showing up, and you know, he self-published his little novellas, and 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 you know, through us, that you know, he's got his book out there further and further, and he's been on the podcast like i'm starting to now count people around the table who's been on the podcast yeah michelle opton's been on you've been on garth's been on um, steve minon steve has been on yeah. as well i only just spoke to him so you know well, yeah. eventually well uh, um, yeah a case in point um like you came along and you had your podcast and then all of a sudden it's like you've got a room full of people that you can do a 
you know, there's there's just podcast mm-hmm. after podcast. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so without without, you know, you knowing us, it's like you, you know, you'd be sort of trying to wrangle interviews from somewhere and now you've got a whole so room full of people. So you've started something beautiful, Grant, and I really wanted to share that on the podcast Thank you. today. I, I mean, um, and I, I mean, I do it with with all honesty. I mean, like, you know, like I have a genuine care for each and every single person that shows up, like the regular, particularly the regular ones. Um, I, I have a deep, genuine care for everything that happens in their lives, you know, because... Um, yeah, they're they're my social circle. They're my friends, and um, yeah, yeah. You've, you've done a wonderful job of connecting, and we all care about you. Oh, thank you. In the same way, oh. um, and I was so touched because um, I have been super busy. I've got work going crazy. I've got a book coming out. I've got looking after my kids, and I was a little bit quiet. And you reached out to me. And you're like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> just I was like, "Oh, somebody cares. I exist." <laughs> It was wonderful, so thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah, because that's the hard thing with social media. It's like uh, there's only a couple of people I actually have phone numbers of from the Brisbane writing crew. And when that whole looking like Twitter was going to collapse thing was happening. Panic. We'll lose everybody. We'll lose everybody. And it's like, you know, but but when when somebody disappears, it's like I notice. It's like, oh, hang on, where have they got to? You know, it's like, you know, maybe something's happened, you know, with the family or something like that. And, mm. But, you know, like, uh, like with you, I I was like, oh, I, where's Kylie got to? <laughs> it's like she's got a book coming out and she's just disappeared. I'm trapped in meetings <laughs> at work, <laughs> but it's, um, it's starting to even out a little bit now, so that's good. That's good. Uh, so I want to thank you so much for joining me today, Grant. It's been a great chat and I'm really looking forward to sharing this with our listeners. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and uh, thank you for having me uh, on your podcast and I hope I haven't rambled. And I... <laughs> You're very welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. Totally Lit is an independent podcast. You can help support us to continue to chat with wonderful Australian creatives by leaving a review on iTunes or sharing our socials with your friends. You can also make a contribution at www.buymeacoffee.com backslash totally lit. This will also help with equipment and podcasting platform fees. I love to interact with our listeners, so feel free to say hello either by email or social media. You can email me at totallylitpodcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. I've also recently created a group on Facebook called Totally Lit Writing Community. It's a, it's a space to continue the conversation and share your writing successes, events, launches and latest projects. Jump into the group and say hello. Thank you for listening to Totally Lit and don't forget to go out into the world to read, write, create.